providing a platform for them to grow their resilience, to grow their identity. If they encounter racism or anything that impacts on their identity, that I'm a place of strength and safety for them to have conversations with. And I can also point them in direction of others as well. You know, I can call upon my experiences and my time of maybe not having things in place, you know, people to go to. So I bring to bear all of those experiences and life lessons that I've learnt so my children don't have to learn such hard lessons, but still needing to learn some lessons because to become resilient, you have to face challenges, you have to face hardships and work out ways of instilling a base of strength and a response to that. Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. Hello. I'm Jasmine Bolt from Emerging Minds and welcome to our podcast. Today we will be sharing a very special conversation we had with Lou Turner. Lou kindly shared his story as part of our Emerging Minds e-learning course, Rebuilding Our Shields, Sharing Stories of Deadly Dads. Lou Turner is a proud Anangu father with Pitinjara connections to Docker River and Murujulu communities. In this podcast, Lou will share his journey of walking in two worlds and the hopes and challenges he faces as an Aboriginal father in contemporary Australia. Lou provides his insights and hopes that he has for his children and community, which will develop your understanding and connection points when supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander fathers. To hear more stories of First Nation fathers, the Rebuilding Our Shields documentary and course can be found on our website. You will find more information and links in our show notes. We would like to acknowledge and thank the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men who have shared their stories so generously in this documentary. We encourage you to listen deeply to these stories, to understand the impact colonisation has had on the roles of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander fathers, and learn their strengths and resilience and the valuable knowledge that they hold, and the hopes that they have of their children to help gain a better understanding of the critical role that First Nation fathers have in supporting children to grow up healthy, strong and thriving. Now let's hear from Lou. Hi Lou, thank you for your willingness to share your story with us. Did you want to start off by telling us a little bit about you and your background? My name's Lou Turner, but my birth name that I was given is a Lucius Turner. I'm a person of multiple descendancies, so I've got an Indonesian sort of bloodline, I've got an Aboriginal Pidinyara bloodline, and I've got a Scottish and English um, Anglo-Saxon bloodline. My Aboriginal family are big, like most families, but we're, we're scattered um, around the country as well. Currently I'm living here in South Australia, but you know, my family story starts in Central Australia. You know, my grandmother, she was born in Docker River. She was a child that was taken, that was stolen with her five sisters. And her story then, you know, through that removal story, ended up in Darwin where she met a lovely fella up there and my mother was born. So my story in association with family uh, from Darwin. I was born in Brisbane but raised in Darwin um, amongst my Aboriginal family and also that started my journey I guess in understanding the wonderful, the beautiful complex scope of living in family and being a part of community. Thanks Lou. Did you want to tell me a little bit about your children and family? Yeah, look my immediate family. Um, I have a lovely partner, she's non-Aboriginal and I'm blessed to have two children with her, so two sons, Wolfie and Arlo, both different looking boys, same genetic stock, but you know, I call them my salt and pepper boys because Wolfie is a beautiful blonde haired, blue eyed, he's got that Germanic stock, European sort of lineage coming through strongly and Arlo is like a little mini me, I would say, you know, it's reflective of those sort of genetic qualities, Indonesian features, 
my First Nation, my Aboriginal features coming through and also the Anglo features and, and then I have um, my dear daughter, my firstborn child, to a, a previous relationship and, and you know she's such a special person in our, all of our lives because she represents you know, that first hope and that first experience of becoming a father and she's my only daughter and she's the only um, girl in our family amongst his siblings so yeah look we we are a little family um where we've got complexities in our family like most families we've got you know challenges we've got stories of autism in our family we've got stories of complex trauma um, on both sides that comes through and managing that but surrounded by good family what do you mean by that your daughter being that first hope do you want to elaborate what was that hope that hope that you know like that moment of change that schismic change in any parent's life when you see your child for the first time and you just sort of look in wonderment you know what that life holds and then beyond that you start wondering as you always do through your our entire lives you know my entire life is going to be wonderment of making sure that my daughter is is going to be happy first and foremost but is going to be confident in growing into um, her own identity and um, whatever that will hold for her, um, that's for her to create, but also to navigate safely through the complexities of, of this modern world, but also know that she carries with her a long lineage of culture that's grounded in ways of living um, with one another in peace and harmony you know, and balance. How, as a dad, do you manage and develop your parenting around gender with your daughter, which in many ways speaks of a complexity of balancing the two worlds of living? Well, look, as a father, I'm acutely aware that I can only provide a certain set of needs for my daughter. You know, as a man, I see myself as the first man in my daughter's life. I am hopefully a role model to other men and form the, the basis of her, her, the way that she sees the world and looks at other men. So that's an important thing for me to represent, you know, um, the best qualities and the qualities that I would like her to seek in friendships and relationships with um, boys now but men in her um, you know growing life into an adulthood yeah certainly like I'll provide a, a place of safety and comfort and compassion and strength for my daughter to come to if she if she needs to and that when if I identify those times where she needs some support I'll I'll come to my daughter but also for me my role as a as a man and an Aboriginal father is to identify those strong women around her that can guide her in the ways that men can't you know and support her identity as a female you know that this is her her life and her but it's surrounding herself with good people regardless of gender expression with good values so it's an extension of my values and principles which come from my mother i believe um yeah and you know she's she's got her mother who is a strong woman as well and so it's about creating a place between homes between her mother and, and myself to raise her confidently as well. If you feel comfortable, would you like to share a little more about your grandmother? Well, I guess I've got to, I've got to go back to my, my mother's story as well and, and acknowledge and honour the story of, of my aunties and uncles, you know, and honouring my grandmother's sort of story, that legacy of connection, but also the legacy of, of trauma that was passed down through the experience of removal that my grandmother experienced, but also that my mother also experienced. Um, she was removed along with her brothers and sisters and placed in different homes and institutions. That impact in our family, like a lot of families um, impacted by this story, has led to, I guess, 
you know, the qualities of, I guess, the holistic approach to parenting, the holistic approach to care. Um, obviously, if you understand this story, there's certain factors that weren't available to parents. Um, to my grandmother, when she grew up, she was taken at four years old. Um, my mother was taken as a young girl. So growing up, navigating, creating safe relationships, forming relationships, having children, what do you base your parenting you know, skills on? What do you base your strengths? Um, how do you bring to bear everything that you know? But a lot of that stuff, fortunately, is innate. You know, whether it's a human quality, that's innate in every human being, but I believe it's more intrinsically sort of connected for First Nations people, you know, um, Aborig the Aboriginal experience is about connection, you know. So to me, it's understanding what the disconnection was to reframe and, and um, position a, an experience of reconnection and connection for myself and my family. And that's understanding the stories, I guess, the stories of, in my family and the impact on, on men, on women and on, on children. What do you see as some of those impacts? Can you expand a little around the discourse as a result of that trauma that is portrayed in the media? Non-Aboriginals' perceptions of Aboriginal fathers or Aboriginal men? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really important question. And as an Aboriginal father, it's something that I'm coming to understand um, because it's what we're, what we're challenged by. I guess the discourse, we didn't create that. You know, as a collective, where Aboriginal men and Aboriginal fathers are I guess have been painted in current media, current times of media as being insufficient, as being, you know, our base and our strength has been taken away, you know. That's a contemporary, you know, impact and a challenge to us amongst what was taken away previously through past times, you know. So I think it's just a, it's a total um, negative picture that's been painted about Aboriginal fathers, Aboriginal men as a whole. I guess this, this sort of modern time, part of the challenges is the social, the social discourses, there's group politics, people like to put you in a basket. The media is really good at that, that's what they do, they try to capture stories but interpret them, those stories from their perspectives. So they're, they're putting all Aboriginal men in a particular basket. Not all media, but you know, the impact on that, that it creates a greater sort of challenge for us to to be able to navigate through the discourse to challenge the opinions challenge the negative narrative that's been created through that what are some helpful ways to challenge those discourses what's been helpful for you or maybe what hasn't been helpful as well yeah i guess what's been helpful is being able to walk with with other strong grounded aboriginal men but also walk with men that are have been challenged, men that are, are being challenged by the discourse, challenged by the system because it's a, it's a complete experience. You know, for me, it's about informing my experience by the experiences of others because it's a collective impact. But for me, it's about identifying really, really strong Aboriginal men. And when I say strong, I don't mean physically powerful, but I mean men that have a really clear, clear way of understanding, you know, their position, their roles, their obligations as men. You know, there's, there's that sort of honour and integrity and obligations to community, to family, to women and to other men. So to me, you know, I always try to seek out those men and there's a lot of beautiful, strong men around me in my life that I, um, I tap into, yeah. This is a strange and off-the-cuff kind of question, but men might present or seem to present in services as angry 
as a result of those discourses? What would you share with a practitioner so they may understand that anger and to be able to respond to that? Well, it's about when I think of um, practitioners' position, it's this certain, I guess, authority provided to that person um, in the service that they're providing, but also the position in society that they are a knowledge holder and that knowledge is recognised. So I would say equally when you're stepping into a space with a, another person, um, with an Aboriginal father, um, it's about recognising that person's expertise and possibly that person's position of authority that they hold within their family, equally you know, walking alongside the mother of the, ch the child. It's also, you know, their community. It's, it's, yeah, look, I would say decenter yourself, you know. Don't position yourself as the expert in that person's life and knowing how to seek solutions to the challenges that that person is coming to you with. Understand the complexity. I would say try to understand the complexity. Be genuine, be open, be curious and be, be humble in understanding the complexity of that person's life. So that's understanding the context of impact of colonisation on Aboriginal people and then maybe creating a story of what that has been to that person's life through their family's experience. So historically within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and communities, the ways of being, doing, there was really clearly defined roles, responsibilities and ways of being, knowing and doing which is quite different to the Western mainstream society which we now live in. How do you balance that? What do you see as the challenges around that? And what are the good parts and what are the not so good parts of that? Yeah, look, I, I guess sort of that, always going back into that walking into worlds experience, it's about where, you know, where we are now is in an urban sort of setting. It's prescribing to um, the societal norms of this sort of contemporary Australia that we're in. So it's placing myself within that and to navigate harmoniously with that but it's also about going back or not going back but looking into the traditional cultural values and ways of living and ways of existing um, within Aboriginal culture that I can you know draw upon that I can draw strength from. For me in my experience you know I'm a descendant of stolen generation survivors so there's there's a challenge within a challenge to that there's I would say a triple challenge you know, in that firstly, we're placed in this sort of identity box of being a, a good citizen in this country. But then, you know, I'm a, I'm a man within that identity box. And then my identity as an Aboriginal person and as, as, as an Aboriginal man and a father, there's an identity box there. And how do I, I guess, fill that box or fulfill that? That's understanding those roles and obligations. And it's safely melding and finding ways of integrating that into our existence and my life and my family's life now. For me, it's about reclaiming. It's about seeking that out. It's there's, through that sort of story of stolen generations um, and disconnection. It's about finding those relationships, finding those family members who have those stories, who can share those stories, who understand the qualities and the needs. That's a healing process. To me, that's a restorative thing that will restore and create and empower a space in our family to raise um, children safely through all of their stages of development, you know, into adulthood. 
when I was talking to the challenges that sort of impact on you know Aboriginal fathers but myself in navigating through in this modern world the walking in two worlds it's the challenges of identity politics you know there's no way around it because um, we have individual we have group and we have collective but there's so much social pressures in this modern time and things are even more polarized um, between uh, and apart uh, within identity politics around choosing a camp or, or being placed in a camp and to me I find that such a great challenge and an impact because to me I just want to be me you know and no one has the authority to create my identity as an individual and as a father um, and as an as a Aboriginal person other than me you know so there's, there's almost a, a prescription to needing to be placed in the, one of those camps um, it's almost this sort of going back to a raw tribalist base and to me that's that's not healthy for us to live in harmony it's in conflict and it challenges it's incongruent with with cultural ways of living and working because things were already planned out um, there was harmony there was law there was roles and obligations in that so how do we draw the distinction but find a way of integrating all of that traditional cultural value living experience that we seek safety within in this modern complexity of you know of politics of of group identity politics because that can really interrupt and cause further harm to aboriginal people it can exacerbate um, underlying traumas and create new traumas and it can stop opportunities inhibit opportunities to heal inhibit opportunities to strengthen um, and restore you know so i would say to me, that's a great challenge in being able to navigate that myself, but also to support my, my children being able to navigate that without the impact because the end result is, is not good for a lot of people. There's mental health and wellbeing um, issues and concerns. And then there's also the questioning of identity, and that's not good. What are your hopes for your children in navigating those through that complexity? What gift could you give them from your own experiences? that will help them in their path to be able to balance that? The gift of resilience. <laughs> uh, um, when getting knocked back, when getting knocked down, when getting confronted by ignorance, by racism, and it's a fine balance between, sometimes between understanding where, you know, ignorance and racism, but there's an overlay there, but it's still equally impactful on, uh, on, a, on an Aboriginal person growing up and finding their own identity and place of strength and confidence in that identity. So it's providing you know, a platform for them to grow their resilience, to grow their identity. If they encounter racism or anything that impacts on their identity, that I'm a place of strength and safety for them to have conversations with. And I can also point them in the direction of others as well. Um, you know, I can call upon my experiences. That's what I'll probably use. And my time of maybe not having things in place, you know, people to go to. Um, so I bring to bear all of those sort of experiences and life lessons that I've, I've, I've learnt so my children don't have to learn such hard lessons but still needing to learn some lessons because um, to become resilient um, you have to face challenges, you have to face, face hardships and work out ways of instilling a base of strength and a response to that. That was beautifully spoken Lou. This question is a little different but I think important. If you feel comfortable, can you share something that's happened recently that as a dad, that's made you really proud? One that you've looked at and you've gone, wow, that was pretty amazing. 
uh, you know, it's, it sounds like a simple question because there's many moments to reflect on. They're all, all proud moments, you know, they're all just observing my children in wonderment of growing. But I think it's, I look at proud moments are when I see my children making meaning of the world and understanding and, you know, having, having breakthroughs and going, you know, and being wowed by, by the world and, you know, reliving that wonderment through their eyes again. So it's, it's exciting to watch them grow and work things out. But doing it in their way, you know, like, because um, I will say the, the greatest teachers are our children, you know, like the greatest wisdom holders are our elders, but the greatest teachers are our children because they'll teach us things that no one else will teach, you know, about ourselves, about our foibles, about our deficiencies, but also about what's good about ourselves, our strengths. So as an Aboriginal father, I would say, you know, look to our children. They are our future. They are our hope. Um, they are our, our lesson givers. So I don't know how we capture that in question. So do you want to talk to me a little bit about how oppression, where that comes from and the impacts of that in spirit, in well-being, but also in actions? Did I capture that very well? I don't know if I captured that. In our nation, you know, oppression is a very broad and long story, but it's a new story to Aboriginal, you know, First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and that oppression story has many layers, you know. So I'm, I'm going to speak from the layer of the impact on Aboriginal men, the, the perception and the experience of oppression as an Aboriginal father. You know, they're the challenges, they're the things that can inhibit the, the journey of being able to provide, you know, those roles, those responsibilities, and continue the obligations as an Aboriginal man and a father. So. When we're talking about a, an expression story, it's about disempowerment. It's about what was taken away from Aboriginal men. Um, and before I, before I get into that story, you know, I always have to acknowledge the story of oppression for our Aboriginal women, you know, because I am a son that was given life through a woman. So I, I have to acknowledge women, my mother and my grandmother and the lineage of women in my family. But for men, our position, um, and I can't imagine, and I don't want to imagine um, what our men experienced in the early stages and the impacts of colonisation, of having a really clear rightful place, roles that sat in harmony with our women, but those roles of protecting, of providing protection, of providing a place of strength and safety for community, they were taken away. You know, that role was taken away. You know, I can't imagine seeing our women and our children taken from us, not being able to protect them. Well, our women were raped, um, our women were murdered and abused, and the total feeling of disempowerment and what that would have meant to the psyche um, and how that then continued the ripple through time, the ponds of time effect to, um, to now. And I guess when we're talking about the discourse, those stories that the media carry and portray, it's holding on to what you might see present that um, oppression present through frustration, through anger, through hopelessness. When we're experiencing Aboriginal men, you know, when I experience an Aboriginal man, but if I place myself in the shoes of a practitioner, as a non-Aboriginal practitioner, and if I was confronted with, I guess, an experience that was foreign to, 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 to my, my experience of knowing how people behave, how people talk and how people express you know you're not going to be presented by that you know it's 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 an experience of of trauma um, of behavior that's 
laced with trauma that comes through from a trauma base, um, through an, an oppressive base. And it's a voice of an Aboriginal man that's trying to find um, a place of strength again and who's seeking, seeking support in feeling safe, you know, and being provided a, a platform to, to safely um, restore his voice and his presence in the world. So elevated, elevated language, elevated sort of levels, um, expressions of what we might perceive as anger. Anger can be quite confronting. That just needs to be understand within the context of what that person's life's about and what it's been and what that person is bringing to you now. So there's a responsibility to hold that, understand that, not be fearful of that, but seek guidance and solace in that as well because it's about building a relationship with an Aboriginal man to support an Aboriginal man and understanding that pain and that hurt that you're seeing. And that's, that's an expression of trauma, um, pure, pure um, trauma at times of disempowerment of, of not having a rightful place as an Aboriginal man. Um, so it's about finding that place again. It's about restoring that. It's about restoring harmony to relationships um, within family, within society, and walking in two worlds to do that, you know. So for practitioners to understand that journey and to walk respectfully, safely and curiously um, with Aboriginal men, it's about understanding that it's a story of oppression and not putting every Aboriginal man in one basket because there's individual stories and then there's collective stories. So it's understanding there's distinctions, but then, you know, it is complex, it is complex. I'm sure that you'll have those feelings of oppression as a father in and out of your life. There will be times when you'll feel wonderful and there's amazing hope and wonder, but then there'll be times of challenges and despair around that. How do you deal with that? What are the things that you do to keep yourself strong? As an Aboriginal man, um, what I do to keep myself strong and safe is to be with other Aboriginal men um, in a supportive way, but to be supported and held by Aboriginal men, to, to hold um, a story of what it is to be an Aboriginal man, you know, our roles, our responsibilities, um, walking with love and respect um, and harmony and integrity as men. I've got to find those places and I've got to sit with other Aboriginal men. And those, some of those places and some, some of the men that I sit with, um, they're stories of hard hardships, those oppression stories. And it's, it's being supported, but it's supporting all the same. So that's in my personal life, but also professionally as well. In the professional realm, I've got to seek those relationships as well. And it's not just with other Aboriginal men, it's with good men, yeah. And also be guided by good women. That is important. I wonder, and this is a very narrative question, I wonder if we go back to the beginning and what your grandmother would be thinking to hear you be such an advocate for her, her experience, her story, and your story that is a result of that. I'm getting emotional here because I, I can only hope that I do my words and my, my voice and my, my story give her life, you know, provided justice, a sense of um, pride. I know she's always with me and my mother, you know, I talk about my membership of, of support, the people in the physical sort of space around me in my life, but also in the, the life thereafter, in the spiritual space, their the voices and the images are equally as loud and clear to me. So when I think of my grandmother and my mother, I, I just think that I'd want to do everything that I can to continue their step, you know, their steps and their footprints in my life and their grandchildren's life to make them proud, to stand up for 
what their what their values are, what they gave me through what they've provided. So your boys going forward, what's the gift that you want to give them in their journey to fatherhood or not fatherhood or men or whatever they choose to be? What would your guiding hopes and dreams and words of wisdom be for them? Well, I would say, look, sons, look at me as an example of a man, but don't be like me. (laughs) Be yourselves. Be curious in the world. Be open to the world. Be open to experiences and take every opportunity to learn from those experiences and to grow from those experiences and to walk with honour, integrity, respect and harmony with others and um, with this world that we find ourselves in, in the environmental space as well. Thank you so much, Lou. I feel very honoured to hear and be able to share this very important and personal story today. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.